Well, hey, thank you for being here. I appreciate that. It's kind of a tough act to come in and follow after Jeff, but we're going to give it our best shot on the deal. Okay, so we're going to have we're going to be a little different tonight than probably what's been in the past because I'm going to need a little bit of help from you. So I'm looking for someone who would consider uh, reading scripture for us tonight as we go along. Is there someone who would be willing to do that? You'd be willing to read scripture from your seat. Okay, so come up here real quick. You get the sacred microphone. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to read scripture. I am going to rudely... No, you can go back to your seat. That's fine. NIV? Is that okay? And I'm going to rudely interrupt you at different points. I'm just going to go, stop! And then you're going to stop. Okay? And the other thing that you can help me out with a lot tonight is... It helps me to know where you are and what you're asking, what you're thinking. So I'm just going to ask that if you, if we get somewhere, if we start to say something and you have a question, that you just raise your hand. You just go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Could we stop there a second? Could we pause there for a second? What were we saying? How does that work? I don't quite get it. Okay? So feel free. Raise your hand. We're going to ask the question. Now, here's the deal. Some, as we go along, I'm probably going to ask some questions. And if it's just a simple answer and you can yell it out, then yell it out. And in this room, you have to yell it out because this room is dead. So you'll have to yell it out. Okay? So yell it out. But if it's more than that, if your answer is a little bit longer, then just raise your hand and we're going to get a microphone to you. How many people are just terrified right now? I've just scared you. Good. Okay, good. So don't raise your hands until you get comfortable. That's okay. On the deal. So here's what I am looking for. I'm looking for some microphone runners. Who are some people that say, I'll run a microphone? Okay, I got one. Okay, how about one more? All right. So you guys are actually going to sit here on stage, face the audience, not make any strange faces while you do it. Okay. And then if someone has a question, they're going to raise their hand. Okay. Or if they're going to answer a question and they they decide they're going to give a small sermon while they do it, they're going to raise their hand. And then you're going to run the microphone to them. Now, here's the deal. Don't give the microphone away. If you do that, we've got a couple Baptists in the room. And they will take off on us. And So hang on to the microphone as best you can. Okay? All right. And if they go too long, I'll just do this. And you tackle them. Okay. And we'll stop them. All right. So we're going to dig in. If you've got your Bibles tonight, go with me to 2 Corinthians. Now, here's the deal. When Jeff and I first started talking about kind of the rotation that was going to go on for the next six weeks, I thought I had elder board tonight. So if you remember last week, I think Jeff even announced and said, hey, next week is me, and then Pastor Lynn's the week after that. So I watched where Jeff finished last week. I don't know if any guys read on ahead, uh, but I looked on ahead, and it talks about giving. And so I said, that is so cool, because Jeff has to talk about giving next week. And I'll be at Elder Board. And then this week I was going along and people started saying, Lynn, you don't have Elder Board this week. You've got Elder Board next week. So I'm here uh, having, we're going to end up talking a little bit tonight about the topic of giving, um, which you just need to know. No agenda, nothing going on there. Matter of fact, I'm just going to be a guest speaker tonight on that topic. And we're just going to figure out what scripture says together on that particular topic. And if you don't like it, uh, feel free to throw things. It's okay. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, but just know this, the luck of the draw that I got stuck with this passage tonight that really should belong to Jeff and not to me. Hey, before we get started, something I'd just like to ask you guys to help us out with, if you possibly could. Um, Easter time, we had crazy crowds in this place. I think we had uh, 10,000 plus in here on Easter. Last Sunday, of course, we've had a mailer and then um, doing a new series, just big crowds uh, in here last Sunday. We overflowed at our 1030 service, and we overflowed in our 1030 service after asking everybody to get out of the 1030 service and give us room. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you that are part of the mine, if you would help lead the way to getting, helping people get off the 915 service and the 1030 service. And I know that's not possible for everybody. Some of us have kids that attend youth groups and things that hour. makes it really difficult. I understand that. I'm not asking if that's the case. But for those of us that have the option, for those of us that can choose, if you could possibly 
lead the way in emptying these seats at 9.15 and 10.30. It would be a huge, huge help. And telling any of your friends that you can to do this. Here's why this is a big deal. Every time we overflow, we spill over into the adult classes, which is where we're trying to do some of our best maturity stuff. And every time we overflow, we have to steal one of those classes and kick adults out. If we continue to overflow, and if we overflow that room um, that's over there, the next option is the student center, which means at that point we would be kicking students out of their own building on Sunday mornings in order to overflow. You and I, I think, want to delay that as long as we can. I don't think that's a good option to be giving up some of our maturity venues for overflow venues. So the better we can get at spreading our crowds out and filling this room up every single hour, the better stewards we are of this building and of our time and of what we're trying to accomplish here. So I'm just telling you guys, this isn't about convenience. This isn't about, hey, we don't want to run an overflow room. This is about you and I leveraging these buildings for the most that we can possibly leverage them for. And if you would help lead in that conversation and lead by example, it would be absolutely powerful for us. Okay? So I'm just going to ask you to consider that. Tell you what, let's pray. We're going to get ready. You're going to read. Right? We're going to read. You guys are going to run to people that have questions. Okay? And we're going to have fun. So let's pray real quick and we'll get started. Dearest Heavenly Father, we simply come before you tonight, and we're here because we want to learn your word. So God, we're just going to ask that you would go before us, that you would make our hearts soft, that we'd be willing to hear and listen to things that maybe up until this moment we have not been willing to hear and we've resisted. God, we're going to ask that our eyes would be open and that things that have confused us until now, maybe for the first time, would just jump off the page and become alive and become real in our lives. And God, that we would leave here tonight saying, I understand Scripture so much better because I took this time to get into the Word. And we simply ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now? Now. You're not going to get any better chance than that. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. Okay, Why stop. Not? You went too far. That's an hour's worth right there. All right, so what he says, there's no need for me to write to you about the service to the saints. What was the service to the saints? We should know this, this is what we've been talking about. What was the service to the saints? The collection for Jerusalem, Okay. So he said, there's no need for me to write to you about that. We've already been having this discussion. Verse 2. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Okay. So you get the moment. What's happened is Paul says, look, I was there, and we began to tell you that the saints in Jerusalem were suffering, and Jeff's already covered this with us, that... Because the Christians in Jerusalem were taking a stand and because the Jews primarily were so antagonistic toward this new cult that was going on, this Christian faith thing. And you realize at the very beginning it wasn't called Christianity. It was called the way. And this thing of the way was absolutely disdained by the Jews in the community. So now you have scores of Jewish believers there in Jerusalem which, by the way, in and of itself is an interesting thing for you and I to consider as Christians, that Jerusalem is where Christianity exploded. Because if you stop and think about the moment, Jerusalem is the city that killed Jesus. So why is it that in Jerusalem, the very city who rejected the Messiah, who said we want nothing to do with him, put him on a cross, then turned and became the center of Christianity afterwards? How do you explain that incredible turn? And the answer is the resurrection, which we just celebrated at Easter time. There were so many eyewitnesses to resurrection of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem that the truth of it was so undeniable that literally the people who had decided to kill Jesus become the early church. It's why in Acts chapter 2, when Peter stands up and preaches on the day of Pentecost, 
And you remember what his sermon basically is. His sermon is basically to them, hey, this Jesus who you killed was Messiah. And thousands believe in the very town that killed him. How do you explain that? And the only reasonable explanation is the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after the resurrection. If anybody ever questions you, if anybody ever comes and says, ah, you don't believe that, you don't think that's true, say, you know what? History tells me it has to be true because there is no other event that explains a city that hates a prophet that within the matter of a few days becomes the center of Christianity, especially if that prophet had stayed in the tomb. It's an incredibly powerful thing. But in the midst of that, it's still a, a really tough thing to be a Christian. And the other Jews within the city are refusing to do business with them. They're refusing to hire them. And so literally the Christians in Jerusalem are starving to death because of their faith. It's costing them to be a Christian in Jerusalem. And because of that, now there's an offering that's being taken up by outside churches, churches all around, giving back to Jerusalem. Now, why is, that, why is that interesting, that all these outside churches are taking an offering to give back to Jerusalem? It's a good question. As Paul goes out to plant those churches, Paul primarily wins what group of people to Jesus? Gentiles. So stop and consider the moment when the church in Jerusalem... The church that, if you remember, has struggled with the idea that Gentiles can even be Christians. God has now placed them in a place where they need Gentile Christians to help them out. It's not an accident. Literally, even the suffering that they're going through is a part of the hand of God to help teach them and to help humble them and, more importantly, to have them accept their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ, who they still think are second-rate Christians and only getting into the kingdom by their fingernails. And suddenly they're going to find that they are full-fledged brothers and sisters who came in their hour of need. It's a powerful teaching moment going on. Okay, so go back. Read verse 2 for me again. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about this to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you were in Achaia, we're, we're ready to give. And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Okay. So you get the moment. When the need is first brought up to the church there in Corinth, Corinth says, well, absolutely we would do that. Absolutely we would sacrifice to help our brothers in Christ in Jerusalem. And their response is so powerful. I mean, it is so over the top. And the generosity that they express in hearing that need in Jerusalem. Which again, stop and think about what's happening in the hearts of those in Corinth. Because they know that the Christians in Jerusalem regard them as second-rate Christians. So think about the love that motivates that response. For them to say, yeah, we would, we would do that. We would give to them even though they've been putting us down. It's so powerful that Paul leaves there and begins to go to the other Gentile churches and say to them, hey guys, you know there's a need in Jerusalem and all I'm asking you to do is what the Corinthian church is getting ready to do. If you would just be as generous as those guys, and let me tell you, let me tell you about Tom who said he's going to, when the crops come in this fall, he's, he's going to give 10% of everything he brings in his crops to Jerusalem. Hey, and let me, let me tell you about Alice and, and her husband, Jeff, and, and how they're going to sell a piece of their land so that they can give that to the church in Jerusalem. So all I'm asking you, church in Galatia, all I'm asking you, church in Ephesus, would you just be as generous as the Corinthian church? And Paul has gone out and leveraged their willingness, their eagerness to give, to lead these other churches in their giving. Which in many ways is a great leadership lesson for you and I. You get how many moments in life are turned by whether or not good people 
do what's right in a timely fashion. Psychologists did a survey about what people do when they panic. In other words, when crisis hits, how do people decide how to behave in crisis? And what they found was is that there, there, there really was kind of a, an anomaly to it that sometimes people would respond to the most dire situations with calm and with bravery. And there were other moments that weren't nearly as stressful, moments that weren't nearly as on the edge or nearly as dangerous, and people panicked in those moments. And they began to study and said, well, what is it? What's, what's the difference between those moments? You know what they found? That in moments of fear, in moments of hardship, guess what people do to decide how to respond? They look at their neighbor. They look to the side. They look to the side. They go, did you see what just happened? Yeah, I saw what just happened. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I think I'm going to run. Okay, I'm going to run too. And they run. And that the decision of what to do in the worst possible moments was usually determined by what the person on your right or on your left did in response. How many of you have ever been in a meeting and an idea got tossed or a proposal was laid out and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it was 50-50? In other words, there's a moment in the discussion where we could either act in fear or we could be bold. We could be negative. We could be positive. And how often has it been in those meetings that the decision was made not based on which idea had the most merit, which, which one had the most likelihood of being successful or not being successful, but instead by who spoke up first in the room. And if they spoke up negatively, the whole room went negative. If someone spoke up positively and courageously, even though everybody was shaking a little bit in their boots... All of a sudden, the room went to the positive side. It's a huge lesson in leadership. What's the saying say? All that is required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And what's happening in this moment, those churches have been inspired in a moment when they're struggling financially, they're not sure what the future is. They've been inspired by the example of the Corinthian church. That's what's moved their hearts forward. But it reinforces for you and me the lesson that says, in the most crucial of moments, in the moments when the crowd is looking to the right and looking to the left and saying, I mean, I don't know what, I mean, you've seen the economy, I, I, what are you going to do? In, in the moments when the pastor's up front and he's saying, hey, look, guys, let's move forward, let's be bold, and the congregation starts to go, well, I, well, I don't know. You realize those moments often can be turned by what good people do or don't do next. And that is incumbent upon good people. It's incumbent on people who are followers of Christ to weigh in early and to weigh in loudly about the right thing. Because your silence can be part of tipping the moment the wrong direction. Does that make sense? I wonder how many battles have been lost spiritually because good people hesitated to weigh in, hesitated to move forward boldly and set the example for the rest of the people in the room who were waiting and watching. So my encouragement tonight is simply this. When those moments come, when in your heart the Spirit is moving and you go, man, I know, I know what we probably ought to do I, I, know, I know biblically probably what's required, but man. And rather than you being one of the people who pauses in that moment and looks to the right and says, I don't know, what are you going to do? When you know the right thing to do, step forward. Be the first one in the room to set the trend, to set the model. You don't know how many hearts you'll turn by simply weighing in in the room. It's what ignited the offering for Jerusalem. It's what changes thousands and thousands of conversations. Good people weighing in early.
Verse 3. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me to find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, will be ashamed of having been so confident. Okay. So it's pretty simple. When the Corinthians first heard about this, when they they first had the comments, so we get a question. All right, go. Alrighty. Um, you said something that you know it's a good decision to stand up and be bold. But what if it hurts someone else? Or like, like say like there's a position open. Um, I know for my club, and I know that one person would do a lot better of a job than the other. But yet it's going to hurt the other person's feelings, or it might hurt something else. Is that still a good decision to be bold and positive? It's mm. a great question, isn't it? So what do, you do, what do you do in the moments where being bold, where speaking the truth, has the ability to wound a heart and hurt a feeling? It's a great question. Because the reality is, and I love the fact you asked the question, we've prob- every one of us in this room has probably paused over that exact same question at some point in our lives. I think it really boils down to there's a couple things you got away. I wish that was an easy answer. So I'll just say yes and let's keep going. No. Um, I think the first thing you've got to ask is, what's the delta? In other words, let's say this person would be really, really good. This person would be not as good. If at the end of the day, the difference is a small difference, I'm not going to wound people and hurt people over a small difference. I'm going to let, you know, I've got a level 10 leader, and now maybe a level 8 is going to get the job, and everybody's okay with the 8. I would maybe let that go. But if at the end of the day you're going, no, 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 no. This person's going to be a level 10, and this other person's a 4. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to hurt us. It's going to hurt the club. It's going to hurt everybody involved if we go that direction. Then I think at that moment integrity demands that you have to find a way to say it out loud. I think you have to temper your words. I think you have to be gracious. I don't, I don't think you go, hey, the truth is, you know, Sonia is a great leader and you stink. And, uh, you know, you running this place would ruin it. You know, I, I don't think you want to go that direction. Um, I think you've got to find a good way to choose your words. But the right answer at the end of the day is, is that all of us have to figure out how do I speak truth with grace? And the truth is, if you look at a situation, you go, boy the end of the day, the club suffers, everybody in it's going to suffer. And it's going to be, it's going to be significant. If you know that, I think you've got to find a way to say it. I think you've got to find a way with as much grace and as much kindness as you possibly can. I'll be, I'll give you an example of this. I'm, I happen to know of an organization, okay, and I can't give you too much details because then it'd all go on Twitter tonight and we'd be in trouble, but uh, I happen to know an organization who's being led by a president right now who is getting ready to retire, but he's probably going to up again for one more session, another five-year term. The reality is if he gets that five-year term and goes on, he's just going to do his victory lap. He's just going to finish out. I'm looking for the moment to go to him and say, you know what, you've earned it. You have every right to finish out and do your victory lap. But for the sake of the organization, we need someone who's going to lead forward, not do a victory lap. And I need to ask you to consider not going for another term. Now, that's a hard conversation. But I really believe, as I'm looking at that, that the difference between his victory lap and a new leader coming in and leading forward is a big difference. So I feel like I have to say it. Does that help at all? Okay. All right. So thank you for having an easy question for the first one. <laughs> what happened to yes, no? All right. Okay, so... What, all right, so what's happening? Verse 3 says, look, I'm... I'm I'm sending these guys ahead to make sure you guys are still planning on the offering. Why is that happening? What do you think's going on? Anybody want to take a guess? 
trying to encourage them. But why? Why do these guys were so fired up? They were so ready to give this offering. They've been an example to everybody else. Okay, because they're human and sometimes we lose heart. Here's what my guess is, guys. Stop and think. Remember, they've had to wait to take this offering. Why didn't they take the offering when Paul was there in the first place? And chances are it's because it's an agrarian society. In other words, it's all farming. And chances are what most of these guys have pledged is a portion of their crops. So Paul's gone on to some of the other cities to rally them, and they've been waiting for harvest time. My guess, and I'm reading between the lines, but my guess is this. The crops came in, and the crops weren't that great. And so now these guys who were so enthusiastic, who were so ready to give, are going, oh my goodness. If I give 10% or if I give 15% or whatever it was they pledged of my crop, this is going to hurt a lot worse than what I thought when I was making that promise. And I think word's gotten back to Paul. These, man, these guys are swallowing hard. These guys are readjusting what they promised to do. They're getting ready to blink, Paul. You know, who knows? Maybe... Maybe the economy went south on them while they were there. Maybe, maybe the new iPad came out and they spent all their money on the iPad and you know, didn't have any left for the offering. I don't know. But they, they're starting to blink. They're starting to reconsider the moment. I was sitting in a meeting probably about a year ago. and I, I, I'm part of a group. You and I are part of a group uh, that goes out and plants churches. And it was interesting because one of the guys sitting in the meeting said, hey, I think that every church that's part of this group, we should all give 1% of our offerings to planting churches. And the rest of the guys in the room all went, hey, that's, you know, that's really good. Yeah, let's go. Let's do that. Let's all give 1%. And uh, when they brought that up, I looked at them and said, guys, got to be honest, that's going to be a little hard for me. I mean, I don't, I don't get to make that decision, you know, for our church. We've got a missions committee and I'd have to go and ask them, and to be honest, I'd probably have to kind of rally hearts to that. For, and I can't, I can't tell you for sure that I'm going to do that. And this particular gentleman went, oh, no, we should all be able to give one. If we really believe in this, we should all give 1%. We should do that, no problem. I said, okay, well, I, I'll go try, but again, I can't promise. I have to go through the right channels, and hopefully people will see the vision, and, and the missions committee would consider doing that. So I went away from that meeting and spent about the next four months going to the missions committee, talking to those in the and just say, hey, I'd like for you to go to a meeting. I'd like to see about church planting. I'd like for us to consider if we could do this. I'm doing all the work to get it. Four months later, the guy who had proposed the 1% came to the meeting and said, hey, uh, I'm withdrawing all of my money from the church planting organization. We're going to go use it for something else. Anybody want to guess what I said to him? Next. You dirty dog. That's what's happening in Corinth. They're in a moment where in their enthusiasm, in their zeal, they've made some promises. Paul's gone out on their behalf and has told others about their promises. And now it's gotten tougher. Now something has changed. And now they're thinking about going back on their promises. And Paul's going to look foolish. And they're going to look foolish. Anybody know the definition of responsibility? Anybody want to take a guess at the definition of responsibility? Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. It's following through on what I said I would do. You ready? Even when circumstances change. See, anybody can be responsible if everything comes up roses. Everybody can be responsible if it's better than they thought. But people who are truly responsible are people who keep to their word even when circumstances change. Then you know you've got a responsible man, a responsible woman, a truth teller. Keep reading. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Okay. Did you catch the genius of verse 5? Paul says to them, I'm sending on a brother to be with you ahead of time to prepare the what gift? 
generous gift that you promised so that when I come, you'll be prepared to give your generous gift and not being grudgingly. And you get what he's doing. He's just laying the track. He's saying, guys, this is, this is what we said we were going to do. This is what you promised you were going to do. And the answer at the end of the day is it needs to be generous. Keep reading. Verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Okay? So whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. How does that work? Where is he getting that analogy from? What? Farming. And basically the principle is pretty simple. If, uh, if you only plant so many seeds, then you can only expect so big a crop. If you plant more seeds, you have every right to expect a bigger crop. And he says, hey, in the case of God, uh, that's how this works. You sow sparingly, you can expect to reap sparingly from God. If you sow generously, you can expect to reap generously from God. So let's turn that around. What if I want to get a raise at work? So what if I start tithing on what my raise ought to be? Then is this verse promising me that God will give me the raise? How many say, yes, this verse is promising that God will give you the raise? How many are saying, no, this is not promising that God will give you the raise? How many are saying, I tried it, it didn't work? Okay. Well, now, wait a minute, because you, you just confused me a little bit, because doesn't it say, if I sow sparingly, I'll reap sparingly. If I sow generously, I'll reap generously. And then you just told me it doesn't work. Help me out. Huh? Okay, so take the mics back there. Okay, so God knows my heart. So help me out. What, what is it about my heart that's going to change this? Well, you give from your heart. And if, if you're giving only for what you'll get back, then you're giving for the wrong reason. Okay. But let's say, let's, let's do this. The farmer, when he plants in the ground, he plants more seed so, in, in his heart so that he'll get a bigger crop. And yet it works. Not always. Not always. Okay. <laughs> Barring tornadoes and drought, um, it works. So why isn't it working here? Huh? My reward is heaven. Okay, so help me out because right, if, if I'm a Christian, then I get heaven, right? So how is this changing that? How is this affecting that? In other words, if it, let's, let's, let's do this. If I've got a Christian... Hey guys, this is years of art school. And if you're going to laugh, then my heart's going to be deeply wounded here. So, I, I've stayed up nights practicing drawing stick figures for you. Alright, so here's a Christian. And this Christian gives zero. And here's another Christian, and this Christian's given big bucks. And you said that changes heaven. How does that change heaven? Nothing to do with it. So this guy doesn't get to stand in line at the cafeteria ahead of this guy? or Okay, so someone's saying something. Yell it. Yell it or grab a mic. One of the two. You can still be blessed, and it may not be financial. How many people agree with that? How many people would prefer financial? How many are going, dude, you know, I gave you a cold hard cash. I'd like a check, please, with multiple zeros on the check. How about if I can convince you you don't want the check? That I think the principle always works. That those who sow sparingly, and here's what you got to get, though, guys. This principle isn't just a financial principle. This principle is about the entirety of your Christian life. It's talking about my service. Those who serve sparingly, I think, reap sparingly in their service. Those who sow sparingly in their study of Scripture, reap sparingly 
in their ability to navigate tough times in life and to be prepared for moments and to be able to help other people. But surely in this moment, it is a financial consideration. In this context, it's talking about dollars. And it's saying, if I sow sparingly, then I am going to reap sparingly. If I sow bountifully, if I sow in excess, I'm going to reap greatly. But I'm going to suggest that in God's grace and God's love for you and me, he does not return dollar for dollar. And that you don't want him to return dollar for dollar. Why not? Why do you and I not want God to return dollar for dollar? Because he knows better what we need. He knows better what we need. I'm thinking big screen TV, 65 inch. I need. Like what? Okay, but we just said both those guys are going to heaven. Peace and joy. I could have a lot of peace with 50,000 bucks. I could be peaceful. How long will that last? Till I'm 80. Have children, yeah, that's right. One or two college, and that's it. Okay? So a lot of the rewards are in heaven. Hey, guys, I think we play this down. You get that Scripture is darn clear that there are rewards for people in heaven who live well on earth. And I don't get why we don't talk about this very much. But the reality is, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth earth instead lay up treasures where in heaven well what determines treasures in heaven okay did i serve god with my time did i obey god when it was hard you know here's the crazy part guys we all get into moments when it's really really hard to obey god and we go oh god what are you doing to me i'm giving you a chance to lay up some serious treasure man i'm I'm giving you a chance this this is this is like 40 percent interest I mean, I put you through hard times, and if you're faithful now, this is huge treasures in heaven. You realize, stop and think about this. If you and I get this concept, then one of the dumbest prayers you and I could ever pray is to say, hey, God, would you make my life completely worry-free and comfortable? Because after 80 years, if you don't have to ever suffer for Christ, ever stand when it's hard, ever obey when it doesn't make sense, you'll have nothing to show for it in heaven. The truth is, guys, I don't, I, if you think about it, no, you don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here saying, let's all go out and suffer on purpose. I'm not saying that, you know. I'm not, I'm going to go, I'm going to go somewhere and be an obnoxious Christian so people hate me and then I get rewards in heaven. No, I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying this, that if you and I really believed that what's going on on earth right now is actually rewarded in heaven, we'd have a totally different attitude about the moments in which Jesus puts us on the front lines and allows the heat to be turned up in our lives. We'd say, God, you just, I mean, you just put me in a place that not only am I going to influence people for you and make you famous, but you just put me in a place where I receive the greatest rewards for being faithful to you. Thank you. Why do you think Paul says, I thank God for the privilege to suffer for Jesus Christ? How do you say that unless you think heaven somehow puts the balance straight again on the deal? Okay, hand went up. Okay, I keep hearing you say of what's, it it sounds like you're saying what's in it for me and the rewards are for me. And I guess when I'm serving, I don't, think about what am I going to get on it and ultimately yeah the blessings are just phenomenal when they do come but that's not a mindset I have when I'm serving of what's in it for me and what am I going to get out of it and I'm doing this to store up my treasures in heaven but my reward is to or I guess my when I'm in this doing the serving it's more of I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm not doing it for my reward. And to me, I guess that concept never even comes into mind. So to hear you saying this really sounds so self-serving. 
and I'm having a difficult time with that. Good. Oh, you want more of an answer than that? I think there's a delta there, and I think there's a balance to what we're having in the conversation, and I do, I think we started this conversation by saying it's about what your heart attitude is, and I do think that there's the potential, and I thank you for bringing it up, to be self-serving in this thing and say, hey, look, um, I'm just going to do this so that when I get to heaven, uh, my chariot is bigger than your chariot, and I think in that moment, that would be the wrong attitude, and I would agree with you. It does not change the fact, though, I think that if you read Scripture over and over and over again, it talks to us about living faithful lives and then saying, because you know you will receive your reward. So I hope in that moment in my heart, I'm able to say, look, I'm doing this for the love of Jesus Christ. And I would even do this even if there weren't a reward. Okay, I think you've got to be able to say that. Even if. Because what Jesus did on the cross is so huge and so amazing, the truth is he deserves my life anyways. And even if he wasn't giving me any reward, I would still serve him gladly. But now add to that the fact that Jesus says, if you will choose to serve me, I will reward you. Okay? Add it on. So call it bonus, if you want to call it that. But it's exactly what Jesus was teaching when he talked about the stewards. Remember he said, hey, there was the, the kingdom of heaven is like a rich man who went away and he left one with five talents and he left one with two talents and he left one with one talent. Remember the story? And when the rich man came back and he found the one with five faithful and the five was said, look, I've taken your five and I've made five more. And he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now be in charge of more because you've been found faithful. And remember what he said to the person who had the one talent and didn't use it. Then I'm going to take away even the talent that I have. It's a story of reward. It's what it is. I think you and I, part of this in the kingdom, need to say, hey God, I want, I want you to know that everything you gave me I was faithful to. And the truth is, I want you to trust me with even more. I want you to find me so faithful you'll trust me with even more may not be dollars. It may be influence. It may be the opportunity to speak and change lives. But I want you to trust me with more. Is there a Bible scripture that says whatever rewards we get in heaven, we will give to Jesus anyway, so it doesn't really matter how many each person gets? Yeah, there is, a, there is a passage that says, if you read in the book of Revelation, and there's a point where it says, it talks about his laying it at his feet. Uh, the reason that I, I don't know that that's a final thing is that there also are an awful lot of scriptures that say, according to how faithful we were in serving Christ, is the responsibilities and the privileges that we're going to be given in heaven. So there seems to be a permanence to this. So... I think what happens in that moment when we lay it at her feet is exactly what she was saying. That in that moment, we say to Jesus, look, I didn't do it for the reward. And the truth is, I did it because I love you. And the truth is, I would give it all back to you because that's not what motivated my heart to do this. I, would have, I owe you so much, I would have served you anyways. The difference is, I think over and over and over and again in Scripture, it says, you did that, it honored Jesus, he was thankful for it, but the truth is, there is reward in heaven. There is reward in heaven. Those who have lived faithfully for Christ have different, for lack of a better word, status, whatever you want to call it, than those who, cho who, who did the fire escape. I accepted Jesus, and I went and lived like the devil the rest of my life so I could sneak in the back door of heaven. Jesus says, I'm, I'm gonna, there's, there's a difference. And there is reward for those who are faithful. Okay. So, I so sparingly I reap how? Sparingly. I so generously I reap generously. And I'm going to argue you do not want money back. So let's go to that passage. We've kind of hit on it a little bit. Grab your Bibles. Go with me really quick to Matthew. What time is it right now? 7.52. 7 what? 7.52, so we're supposed to be done like now. Okay, so let me, let's, let's just land this verse real quick and we'll go, okay? All right. 
So grab your Bibles real quick. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. What time are we supposed to stop? Okay, so I got eight minutes. We're going to cruise. Matthew chapter 6. Speed Bible drill. How many of you did that when you were kids? Matthew chapter 6. Go. Starting at verse 1? No. Just because you've got an electronic Bible. Matthew chapter 6. Let's try verse 19. Treasures in heaven. Yep. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Keep going. The eye of the lamp of the body... I'm sorry... The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then in the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be destroyed to the one and despise the other. I'm sorry, devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, Jesus here very simply said, look, you're crazy if you spend your life storing up treasures on earth. It's just probably one of the most foolish things that you and I can do, which you and I needed to hear because it's one of the most natural things for you and I to do. It's what all our neighbors do. It's what a lot of our family members do. It's what a lot of our friends do. It's what our co-workers do. And Jesus said... It's insanity. It's insanity if you store up for yourselves treasures on this earth. Because the simple answer is, you can't take it with you. And believe me, I've stood at a thousand graves and preached a thousand funerals. And you don't take it with you. Think of it this way. What if you got a job offer tomorrow to go work in Iraq? unbelievable pay. And so you decided, I'll do that for a year. For one year, I'll work in Iraq because the pay is so amazing. And then I'll come back to the States. So you fly over to Iraq to work for a year, and when you land, they tell you this rule. Anything you purchase in Iraq stays in Iraq. You can't take it back. So now you work for the year. Let me ask you a question. If, if anything you buy in Iraq stays in Iraq, how many big screen TVs are you buying while you're there? See, I'm, I'm buying the little black and white with the aluminum foil antenna, right? How, how many big couches are you buying while you're in Iraq? See, I'm buying beanbag chairs, okay? Because anything you buy in Iraq stays in Iraq, I want to be able to take anything I can back with me when I go. You realize that's exactly the lesson Jesus is teaching. And he says to you and me tonight, anything you buy on the earth, anything you lay up for yourself on the earth, stays on the earth. And when that sinks in, when all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness, it'll absolutely change how you look at money. And you'll begin to say, God, look, look, no, 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 no. I'm going to give generously because I want to reap generously, but I don't want dollars for dollars. I want to be able to give human dollars. I want to be able to give dollars that wear out. I want to be able to give dollars that stay in Iraq and have them be kingdom dollars. And I want when you give back to me, when you, when my giving generously is repaid, I want you to do that with eternal things not things that rust and fade away and have to stay in Iraq. And when that sinks in, your budgets will look different. And your prayers will look different. And your giving will look different. And you'll beg God not to give you back dollars for dollars. Matter of fact, I think you're crazy if you ask for dollars for dollars when you give. All right, let's pray.
Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we just, uh, we just come before you tonight. God, you, you just promised, you said your word would never return void. And I'm just going to ask that you would take some of the simple principles that we've talked about tonight. Take this passage where the Corinthian church had made bold promises. And then when things got tough, began to consider backing away. And God, who knows, maybe there are some in this room who say, you know, I, I made this pledge to God, or this is what I said I would do if I ever had this job. I'd be a bold witness. And I, I said if God ever gave me that house, I'd witness to my neighbors. But, you know, it's gotten tougher than what I thought it would be. And I've kind of backed down from what I promised and what I said I would do. God, would you embolden our hearts? Would you remind us of our words and what we said? And then, God, we think about this principle of giving. And we're just going to be honest. There's been an awful lot of times in our life that we gave because we were hoping you would give back like in kind. We, we were hoping if we were faithful in the tithe that you all of a sudden would just give us all sorts of financial reward. And it didn't happen. And, and we got discouraged. And we said, boy, I'm tithing, and yet, you know, I'm still tight financially. So apparently this passage doesn't work. And yet, God, in your goodness and your grace, you didn't give us back dollars for dollars. That you, you instead were rewarding us eternally because we gave you something that was temporal out of our lives. And we got discouraged at your blessing, at your goodness to us, because we misunderstood the moment. God, may the truth of your scripture come alive to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Hey, it's Jeff next week, and uh, hope you guys make it back.